The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Sports Baseball Show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Madorsky and Alex Spector. Welcome to episode 28 of the Underdog Sports Baseball Show with as always, since day one, we got our producer, Sam Beck. Um, but the reason I have a little more energy, even more than usual, is we're about to announce a groundbreaking change for the show. Uh, Alex, due to his busy commitments at work, what does Alex do? He's, My mom asked me, and I said, I'm going to be honest, I have no idea. He sells software. Yes, that's what he does. There is software that needs to be sold all over the world because Great the software, machines actually. are taking over. Right in connection with the new Terminator movie coming out next month. Shameless plug for the Terminator Which franchise. has apparently been giving Chase nightmares since he was six. Seven years old. Terminators were trying to kill me. But I outsmarted him at this point. I know to just wake up. I don't think that's... Is that how nightmares work? For me, they do. I had a nightmare the other week. First one in a while. All that said, though, for the foreseeable future, Bryce will now be a full-time member of the show, replacing Alex... His initiation is coming later tonight after the show, and you will hear all about that next week. Uh, Bryce, good to have you on, and I'm curious, what is the nightmare you were referring to? I had this dream that I, I flew to Japan, which on paper seems like a great dream, but apparently in Japan, they, they don't have any cages for animals, and animals just roam the streets, like coyotes and lions and tigers. At one point, I was right by a space station, and this giraffe was charging full speed ahead at me and leaped over my head. That sounds awesome. Scared the shit out of me, but happened to be on full time. All right, so before <laughs> we get to our Bavada Sportsbook picks of the week, number 28 in Yankee lore. Uh, so Joe Girardi was number 28 his last, I guess, almost decade as the Yankee manager after the first year. Spent a lot more time looking for 28 than he did 27. Correct. Current Yankee on the roster wearing 28, Austin Romine. We're going to talk about him in a little bit because he may be the Yankees starting catcher for the foreseeable future. Uh, prior to that, it had been a decade since 28 had been worn in pinstripes. Uh, Shelly Duncan, you remember him? I like Shelly Duncan. Shelly Duncan was 28. Uh, before that, in his first three years... Did of Shelly's Duncan brother pass away last week? Chris Duncan. Very young. I think he was 38 years old. Member of the World Series. Winning Cardinals in 2006. Dad is Dave Duncan, famed pitching coach. Uh, prior to Shelly, the Milkman, Melky Cabrera, wore he his was first one of my favorites years. growing up. And then you know who wore it before Melky? One of my favorites growing up. Enrique Wilson? Cl- uh, close. Ruben Sierra. Again? <laughs> he goes- so I think the better question is A, how many numbers did Ruben Sierra wear with the Yankees? But B, how many different stints did Ruben Sierra have with the Yankees? Isn't that. And C, why do you love <laughs> Ruben Sierra so much? Guy could just mash. I'm, I'm pretty sure he was on the juice. Prior to that, um, the first convict we had named on this list, uh, in 2004, Esteban Moiza wore 28 for the Yankees. And what did he get convicted for? 
Jog my memory. He earlier this year or last year moved like crazy Pablo Escobar amounts of cocaine in and out of the country. Zach That's Lane bad. Amounts. Zach I, Lane levels of cocaine. I believe he's serving about five years in an American penitentiary. That's bad. Okay. Al Leiter also wore the first, 28. The first convict on this episode. I feel like there had to be a convict in the past. It's episode 28. You think you've gone 27 episodes convict-free? No chance. In the Yankees, maybe. How many convicts played for the Yankees? It's not like the Red Sox. Being a convict is socially acceptable to play sports in Boston. Boom. Roasted. Back Bill <laughs> Belichick. Anyway, though. Alright. Yeah, I don't think there's one I could think of. I'll think through the show. No, we up. talked about the... the um... Did OJ ever come up? He's 32. He's in a couple, couple weeks from now. What about the two, the two dudes who just got busted in the DR? Castillo and Dotel? Yeah, Castillo, we, both got cleared, first of all. Dotel really? was definitely mentioned, because when we talked so about Edwin Jackson trading teams. Yeah, but he wasn't... I'm talking on for the numbers mentioned. Oh, then maybe. Yeah, all right, maybe for the numbers. Anyway, well, this is... Keep it, we also, if you need a great uh, NFL recap every week after the games, uh, I'm going to give him a shameless plug here. Follow OJ Simpson on Twitter. He is fantastic to listen to. Uh, his most recent rant was that the... Dolphins ownership should give a refund to every single season ticket holder <laughs> based on the on-field product. Uh, clearly, he doesn't know how the business world works. No. No. What would you think if OJ got hired as the next athletic director at USC? I'm all for it. That's because you're a UCLA guy. Who says no? USC. USC says no. I don't even think OJ would want that job. Who says no? USC. Everyone USC involved. says no. But the juice is loose. They say no. Right. <laughs> Anyway, one thing OJ likes to do is gamble, and with that, we will go right into our Bavada Sportsbook picks Seamless. of the week. First game, we will do uh, big ramifications in the playoff race. The NL wildcard leading Nat visiting the NL Central leading Cardinals. Steven Strasburg on the bump for the Nationals. Dakota Hudson for the Cardinals. Bavada has this at minus 1.5, plus 115, minus 137 for the Nats. Plus one and a half, minus 135, plus 117 for the Cardinals. Strasburg is good, but the Nats are coming off of a uh, pretty tough series against the Braves. They salvaged it a little bit yesterday uh, in a shutout win, but give me the Cardinals plus 117. I'm going to take the Nats money line. I just think Strasburg's been too good this year, and they need these wins more than the Cardinals do. Yep, I'm with you, Strasburg, all the way. So game, one team is out in this game, but the other team is fighting for their playoff lives. Cincinnati Reds and Kevin Gausman visiting Cole Hamels and the Cubs. Bavada has this a plus one and a half, minus 125, plus 151. Cubs minus one half, plus 105, minus 176. Cubs are hurting. Rizzo's out five to seven days now, uh, and that's conservatively speaking with an ankle injury. That said, though, I don't trust Kevin Gausman. Give me the Cubs minus 176. I'm going to go Cubs minus one and a half. I think Hamels gets it done. He's a big game pitcher. These late September games are huge. Cubs need all the wins they can get. But on the red side, I know we'll touch on it later. Give me uh, Eugenio Suarez to Homer. He's uh, on the warpath to 50. I wonder, what do you think the Eugenio Suarez odds on Bavada would have been prior to the year for him to lead all of baseball in home runs? He would have been on the field. He would have been listed in the field. All right, I don't disagree with that. Uh, this game, Brewers still in the hunt. The Padres are not, but Garrett Richards making his season debut for the Padres. 
Uh, Brewers are throwing Zach Davies. Bovada has this a plus one and a half, minus 130, plus 145, minus one and a half, plus 110, minus 170 for the Brew Crew. Uh, I like Garrett Richards, but again, I don't like anybody making their season debut. Give me the Brew Crew, minus one and a half, plus 110. Funny enough, I love anyone making their season debut, especially if they have Machado backing them up. Pods, money line. Pods plus 145. Sam, any... Chase, uh, I'm, I'm with you. Okay. Brewers, Brewers, minus one and a half. I appreciate it. And yep. the last Voted game we will pick is going to be... Let's go Royals A's. Glenn, uh, Glenn Sparkman against Tanner Roark. A's are the home team. Bavada has this at plus one and a half, plus 135, plus 245 Royals. Minus one and a half, minus 155, minus 295 for the A's. I think Sparkman is going to be a spark for the Royals tonight. Give me them plus one and a half, plus 135. This is why I don't bet baseball in real life. Uh, I, my two favorite players in the league happen to be Manny Machado and, as I mentioned every week, Jorge Soler. So give me the Royals money line. I'm taking the A's money line. All right, cool. Uh, before we go into standings like usual, there's a few things that have happened um, since I did these notes last night that I just wanted to go over with you guys. Uh, the first one being, how cool is it that Mariano Rivera was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom today? Very cool. <laughs> my follow okay, sorry. My, my follow-up to this is, you know, my, my opinion on politics aside, Tiger Woods just won this. Vince Scully got it a few years ago. Um, at, at what point do you think Trump is just giving his favorite athletes the Presidential Medal of Freedom? At this point. I think right. this, this is the point. Like well, Tiger, like the, Tiger, the Tiger was the, the tipping point because as much as I love Tiger, I know Beck loves Tiger. Um, I I love Tiger and I love Mariana. They played Enter Sandman when they brought him the medal out for the record in the ceremony. Oh, well, then I wish I wasn't so hesitant with my very cool because that is that's actually really cool, right? Yeah, pretty cool there. Uh, the other one is on the Yankees. Uh, Aaron Boone was interviewed by Tom Verducci in Sports Illustrated today. Um, and when asked about the playoff pitching plans for the team, Boone said, we're going to be a little untraditional. The only one we might use a tradi- as a traditional starter is James Paxton. By traditional, Boone means a starting pitcher who goes as deep as he can into the game. Otherwise, New York is prepared to script each game with piggyback starters and six key relievers. I love this for the Yankees. I think Paxton's been the only reliable guy in the second half. Herman is great for four innings at a time. Same with Tanaka. I throw Happ into there. And now the Patantis is back, which we'll hit on in a little bit. I, I think we're the perfect team to do some mixing and matching. Yeah, the bullpen's elite as it has been all season in the last couple of years. So this makes perfect sense to me. Paxton's also been unbelievable his last couple of outings. So the Raiders played at home at the Oakland Coliseum this week. Uh, and it will be the last time that a football game is ever played on a baseball infield. Uh, they've been doing this for years in Oakland. Prior, they had done some at Shea Stadium and at Falcons games in Fulton County. Uh, is this a quirk that you will miss, or it's good to not have football players playing on is a baseball this, field? I have a hot take for this. I have a question. Uh, is this dependent on how far the A's go in the playoffs? You know, that's a good question. And to that, I don't know the answer. Uh, I think I'm going to assume the answer. Is, well, you know what? Let me just look. Give your opinion, and I'm going to look up the Raiders schedule. My take is that this is not going to be the last NFL game played on a baseball field. There's, I mean, they're going to at some point. The Raiders will maybe have a home game in Oakland. Wouldn't surprise me one bit. 
the Raiders' next home game is October 6th, uh, and if the A's win the wild card game, they will be playing the division series then. So maybe not the very last. Good call. And, and like, I'm just thinking seasons down the road, a one-off home game in Oakland for the Raiders would be pretty cool. I don't I don't see that happening. I actually think this is going to be the end. You don't think? I, wait, what did you just say about the Raiders? Pause. They're moving to Vegas. Sure. I, it would, oh, not, like the it would not surprise me if Mark Davis one day was like, hey, hey, random home game, we're playing in Oakland. I just heard you saying playing in Oakland during the years, and I was thinking to myself, Beck's got to know they're moving to Vegas, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, like, a, like a one-off, like... I don't see it ever happening. I also think by the... I think the A's... They have a really loyal fan base in Oakland that they may want to have some games for. In Mexico. Well, if they had a loyal enough fan base in Oakland, I don't think they'd be leaving Oakland. I, I think they're leaving. Not. I think they're leaving Oakland because they can get a lot more money. In I'm going to be real with you guys. I'm assuming neither of you have ever been to the Oakland Coliseum. Never mind. I think the Oakland Coliseum isn't doesn't. I mean, Chase, you speak as an expert, but it seems like the worst place to play. It's it's a true shithole. Like you walk around the halls, the and best, it smells like those shit. are the best kind of stadiums. That said, though, of that's any, why I miss the old Yankees. Of yeah. any baseball, where the, every, every, which just smells like piss everywhere. Well, there's an inch of pee on the floor everywhere you go. The, that's right. Oakland, the Oakland Coliseum, I will say had the best craft beer selection of any baseball stadium I've been to in America. Have you been to a Brewers game? I have not been to a Brewers game. I have been to a Rockies game, though. As have I. And they just had Coors Light. A lot of Coors Light. That makes sense. That's what happens when it's Coors Field. It's true. That's how they get you every time. Last thing before we get into the standings. Uh, The Cubs announced that Anthony Rizzo has a sprained right ankle. X-rays show no fracture, but they're saying at a minimum... Five to seven days he's out. I don't think he's going to play again this year. Uh, given Baez is out for the month and Rizzo is going to be out, do you think the Cubs have the ability to hold on the rest of the way? Yes, because I think a manager like Joe Madden manages better with his back against the wall and better when he has to scrap together teams without the A-list stars. So I think this plays right into their favor, especially since I trust their pitching staff, one through five, more than any of the other teams in contention, except for the Mets, which inherently I do not trust. How about the fact that you Darvish is now like going to be the go-to option for them for the wild card game? Uh, it's cool to see him salvaging that contract a little bit, especially heading into next season. I mean, he has had an absolutely dominant second half. I mean, that's very that's good for him, good for the Cubs. I still, after Game Seven in the World Series a few years back, I would not trust him in any sort of Game, game Seven. Game. I would I would throw in Game. Four, two. <laughs> yeah, I, after his World Series performance a few years ago, I have a hard time trusting him in big moments like that. But it's nice that he's pitching him out. It's fair. Moving to the American League East around baseball. Yanks still up nine on the Rays, 90 and 53. Yanks matching number to clinches three. Rays in second, 89 and 62. Red Sox have officially been mathematically eliminated, 79 and 70. Blue Jays and Orioles rounding out the division. You know, I think with the Yanks, we'll, we'll go right into it right now. Um, it's really been amazing the this man comes back, this man gets hurt pattern that we've ha- had the entire year as Yankee fans. Uh, this week, it was really a mixed bag. Um, Luis Severino's making his season debut tomorrow at Yankee Stadium where he's hoping to throw 75 pitches and his return to a major league mound for the first time since Game 3 of the ALDS last year on October 8th, 2018. Uh, he's coming back from rotator cuff inflammation and a grade two lat strain. Again, Severino coming back is massive for the Yankees. I, I wouldn't rule it out as good as Paxton has been pitching. Paxton, I think, is the traditional game one starter, but we said it before with Boone 
piggybacking, mixing, and matching, I wouldn't be surprised to see Severino get the ball in game one of the ALDS. I would. You think? He hasn't pitched all season. It's September 15th. I think you got to go Paxton game one at this point. But also, I mean, if Severino comes back and his lights out these next three weeks and pitches to a point where you want him game one, then I think that's best-case scenario for the Yankees. I mean, you still maybe pitch him game two, give him a more favorable matchup. It's like... Not that you're throwing game one, but you have a if you're really confident how Seb's pitching to put him out against the other team's number two starter. It could also depend on if we are the one seed or the two seed. Correct. Because if we have to go up against the team's number two starter or team's number one starter. Yeah, I agree. I mean, fortunately, two guys we got back who will be joining Severino on the Yankees postseason roster in all likelihood. The first is Dylan Batances. Uh, yesterday's 6-4 loss to the Blue Jays at the Rogers Center, the four-time All-Star Made his 29-team debut, striking out both batters. He faced on eight pitches. This was his first time back on a major league mound since last October. He was working back from a right shoulder injury and a right lat strain. Um, after three rehab assignments, set down Reese McGuire and Brandon Jury with ease, mixing knuckle curves in with the fastball that averaged 94.4 miles per hour. Sat in 92 to 94 during his rehab, so still has a little ways to go to build up the arm strength. But again, I don't know if you saw either of his strikeouts. The knuckle curve was looking as good as ever. He was painting the black. And again, I think as good as the Tommy Canelys and Chad Greens of the world are, uh, if you can now add Patances to the Ottavino, Britton, Chapman trio and make that a quartet and still have Green and who did I just, Canely? I mean, this bullpen becomes stupid for the playoffs. Yeah, it's the best bullpen in the league by far. Is it the best bullpen ever? If it was at full strength, maybe. I'm still very impartial. I don't think statistically it's the best bullpen ever, but I think the best bullpen that I've ever seen was the 2015 Royals uh, with Wade Davis, Greg Holland, and Kelvin Herrera. Well, that's the only time you can point to a bullpen as being the winning a World Series. I mean, they had three guys who all went on to be all-star closers just dominating. Um, If the Yankees bullpen, if we get the job done and win the World Series, then yes, I think we surpass that. Yeah, that Royals team is bad. They had, in terms of starters, I mean, Jordando Ventura, may you rest in peace. He was, I think it was him, Cueto. I think Jeremy Guthrie might have gotten the ball in a World Series game. Chris Young? Is Chris Young on that team? Chris Young might have been on that team. But again, you know, the Guthries. Yeah, look at the three last two, the last three names we just named. Not good And they won the World Series in five games. The Mets managed that one horribly. Yes, I agree. But that's something we could talk about all day, Mets mismanagement. Uh, another guy who was really good to see back for the Yanks was Jordan Montgomery. Uh, in his first big league game since last May 1st due to Tommy John surgery, uh, he gave up two runs and three hits in the second and a solo homer to Randall Grichuk in the third. Uh, he threw 41 pitches total, but again, was sitting 91-93. Um, and he's a guy I think kind of gets lost in the shuffle just because we've had all these arms come up. But even if it's not for the postseason last year, I mean, I think he – at a minimum, next year will be a very good innings eater at the back of the Yankees rotation. Yeah, and I mean, again, I think the Yankees, the missing piece on this Yankees team is an elite ace. But it's always, I mean, if you can't get that, innings eaters are good. Could that cost young, cost-controlled arms. Yeah. All right, so then the three guys we got back, three injuries also happened this week. I'm going to go in order from least important to important in my mind. Um, J.A. Happ. Has been pitching great of late. Um, he gave up two runs in four and two-thirds against the Tigers this week, but prior to that, 
um, had rocked three straight scoreless starts. Um, he, in the doubleheader against the Tigers, was diagnosed with left bicep tendonitis, but he is said to be feeling pretty good after receiving a cortisone injection. He's tentatively started to start, scheduled to start Thursday against the Angels. I think Happ has been better, but do you agree with Severino coming back and Herman being his usual self? I mean, if we have Paxton, Tanaka, and Herman as starters with Patanza, Severino, in the bullpen, I think even if Hap's not good to go, we're going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, we are what we are at that point. Get Hap's replaceable. Right. We're going to go with the mix and match strategy to begin with. The Hap's been great. He got lit up the other day, though. Didn't they lose his start on Sunday? No, he gave up. No, I don't believe he got lit up from late. Maybe I turned the game on and he gave up a home run. Something like that happened. Either way, replaceable arm. Especially if we're just going to send starters out for three innings at a time. Yeah, he only gave up two runs in four and two thirds. Um, but again, um, his last. They took him out when there was. Last three starts, you know, six innings, no runs against Oakland, six and a third, no, no runs against uh, the Red Sox. It's been on a nice little run. Uh, Edwin Encarnacion left the first game of Thursday's doubleheader with an internal oblique strain, which is considered mild. Aaron Boone expressed optimism that he's coming back at some point, but reiterated that more time is required to make a proper assessment. Uh, Edwin was hitting 342 with four homers, 12 ribbies, and a 1.059 OPS in his previous nine games. Again, Aaron Judge missed two months earlier this season with an external oblique strain. Uh, this is an internal one. This is an injury that I think the Yankees could survive, especially because Luke Voigt seems to be really picking it up again of late. Um, but Edwin is a guy, as a veteran presence and a professional hitter, I would love that back for the postseason. I agree, but obliques are scary. <clears throat> I mean, obliques, they cost Judge a lot of time. They cost Dan a full season, or most of a season. Not something you want to mess around with. But like you said, Voigt does give very similar production. So. And even if Edwin's not playing, in a way, it... Almost shores up a problem for the Yankees because now Voight can DH, LeMayu can play first, vice versa, however you want to do it. Keeps Rochelle in the lineup, um, which just goes to show how crazy deep the Yankees are. It makes, it makes setting the lineup a little bit easier. Yeah, but you would obviously love that Edwin back. Yeah. Well, you want that, I mean, just when it comes down to play times, you want as many confident bats as you have. So the big injury, though, is Gary Sanchez, the Yankees' all-star starting catcher. He exited the second game with a doubleheader in Detroit with a left groin strain, which he suffered after attempting to steal second base. So before we even get into the injury, I get there wasn't anybody holding Gary on at first, but if you're Aaron Boone, how do you give Gary the green light to steal this late in the season? You're a goofball. I mean, what what point of the season does it matter to send? Gary is so slow. Like, does that one extra base make a difference where you're going to risk any kind of injury? In a game at Toronto? No. This was against the Tigers. Oh. This wasn't even against Toronto. Yeah, that was bad. That, that was foolish. A goofball. So Boone said the strain is similar to the one Sanchez suffered previously, which caused him to miss two and a half weeks. Um, he was on the injured list from July 24th to August 10th with the injury, ended two stints on the AL last year with a strained right groin. Boone's hopeful to get Sanchez back, but uh, again, groin injuries, it's like you said with the oblique before, it's one of those things that it just kind of takes time. I feel like groin, oblique, hamstring, it can be one of those things where it's like a week and a half, two weeks, or two to three months. And a Gary injury isn't as easily... Gary's not easy to replace on this team. Yeah, I mean, I think Romine is a little better defensively, and miraculously is hitting in the 280s, but 
Yeah, but you Gary's know, got Gary a full season out of Gary. That's a fifty home run. Hit that's what I'm saying. Austin Romine in the postseason, they're going to attack him and get him out more often than none. It's not like with Gary where you know you make a mistake, he's going to hit one five hundred feet. Uh, so I think of all of these injuries, Gary is the one the Yankees really need to keep their fingers crossed for to get him back by the end of the year. Yeah, absolutely. AL Central Twins four and a half up on the Indi- Indians. Twins ninety one and fifty eight. Indians eighty seven and sixty three. White Sox, Royals, Tigers round out of that division in order. Uh, the Twins swept the doubleheader against the Indians this weekend, and that was kind of a backbreaker a little bit for Cleveland, I would say. I mean, they're still in the hunt, but Twins schedule the rest of the way. Um, fairly easy. They have the White Sox, Royals, Tigers, and Royals again. I mean, the Twins could realistically not lose the rest of the season, and I wouldn't bet an eye. Uh, conversely, the Indians on the other side, I believe it is a little bit tougher. Uh, the rest of the stretch for them is looking like, soon as the article loads, I will tell you. It's a lot of games against Jorge Soler for the Twins. Indians got a series. They got three against the Phillies and three against the Nationals to close out the year. Uh, the White Sox and Tigers, I think, are winnable for them. But the Phillies and Nationals, those are far from a cakewalk. Yeah, ending the season in D.C. with the Na- against the Nationals team that's presumably still going to be fighting for the playoffs. That's So before I guess we get to the Indians in a little bit, let's just go into the AL West. Astros, number one seed in the AL because uh, they have a tiebreaker against the Yanks. 98-53, they're 7.5 up on the A's, 90-60. Rangers, Angels, Mariners rounding out the division. Which brings us to the wild card. A's plus 1.5 up on the Rays. Indians 1.5 back. I think looking at all the schedules, the A's and the Rays are going to be in the wild card game. For yeah, sure. it's been looking like that for a couple of weeks now. The Indians had their chance and they blew it. That doubleheader, like you said, back-breaking doubleheader loss to the Twins. Um, so A's, Rays, man. And I think if you're the number one seed in the AL, be it the Yankees or the Astros, you know, you never want the A's to win because who knows what's going to happen with the Billy Bean-led team. But the Rays have had Tyler Glass now back for two appearances. He's given up one run in six innings. Uh, he's consistently pumping 100. Blake Snell's coming back that week. So those guys are going to be postseason factors. All of a sudden, if it's the Rays' deep bullpen... With Glasnow, Snap, Snell, and Charlie Morton ready to go, they become a significantly tougher out than I think Oakland would be. Yeah, that one, two, threes, that's that's better than the Yankees, don't you think? Yeah. I'd rather go Snell, Glasnow, Morton than whatever. They'll Yankees. probably go Morton in the wild card game, but then you're still going to have to get Snell, Glasnow, one, two, Morton game three. They probably throw a bullpen game in there. As, as the Rays tend to do. But the A's probably go the same route. I actually think the A's lineup's a little better, and I don't like... I think as a Yankee fan, I'd rather play in Tampa than in Oakland. Yeah, I think... I mean, the A's will kill you with the long ball. I don't think the Rays will do that as much, and the Yankees pitching staff has been crushed by the long ball. You know, I don't want to face... I'm okay facing Austin Meadows. I would much rather have him than the Chris Davis, Matt Chapman, Matt Olson combo, or trio. Exactly. Throw Marcus Semien in there also. Yeah, the A's are scrappy, as they've been for the last... 15, 20 years now? As long as we've been alive. Moving to the National League, the Braves clinched a playoff berth over the weekend. Uh, they are 93-58, and 9.5 up on the Nationals. They're 82-66. Mets, Phillies, Marlins rounding out that division uh, in order. Uh, to me, the more I watch the Braves, the Dodgers are great, but I think the Braves, the way Keuchel has really reemerged as an ace these past few weeks and the way Soroka and Freed have been all season – Tarad's been great, your boy. Mike Fulton-Evich has turned it around. Um, 
they, to me, I think will be very dangerous to the Dodgers. What do you think about Donaldson's free agency next year? Three for 50. That's the completely arbitrary number I'm going to pull out right now. Or, you know what? Give me three for 54. I think 18 a year. Uh, 18 what, a year I think this year is on one for... 23. One for 23, and he played that... I think he takes a pay... He, I mean, look, he's had a great year. He bet on himself in one base. He hit 40 homers. Um, I think he gets less per year because he's going to be 34, but... Um, like, I think, like, how Adrian Beltre was getting, like, three-year 50 to $60 million deals in his mid-30s. I think that's fair for Donaldson. But I just watched this lineup. As great as the Dodgers are, I think the Braves are just as good and just as deep. Am I crazy to think that? No. Because Acuna might be the best player on either team. I mean, Acuna, Albies, Donaldson, Freeman, that one through four. Marcakis comes back, immediately has three hits. Um, one thing that is going to hurt them, you see Charlie Culberson yesterday. Uh, squared the bunt and took a fastball right off the face. Uh, so he's out for the year with uh, some facial injuries, but broken no fractures. Face. He's okay, though. Uh, all things considered, it was a very good case of a broken face. The best case of broken face. Um, but, I mean, Acuna, Albies, I just think they could be the team to maybe do it. We'll see what happens. Um, in the AL Central, the lead is shrinking. Uh, Cardinals, 83-66, and 66, are two up on the Cubs, three up on the Brewers, Reds and Pirates rounding out that division. Uh, I mean, the big news in baseball, Christian Yelich reigning NL MVP. He's out for the year with a right kneecap fracture. Uh, but the Brewers, it just seems to be a different hero every night. Ryan Braun, 3-2-2 two, two outs, and a go-ahead grand slam last night against the Cardinals. Uh, Beck's throwing up the U, and I will absolutely give it to you on that one. The Jew from the U coming in clutch, turning back the clock a little <laughs> bit. Uh, the Brewers, I think, down the stretch are just going to be one of these teams that aren't going to give up, and I think they're going to try to win it for Yelich. Win it for Yelich. Um, that, I mean, I guess that's what they're going to try and do. Is he is he definitely out for the year if they make a deep playoff run? Uh, his knee he gap is so knee. fractured. Bad. Eight to ten weeks minimum. All right, so he's done. He's done. Okay. Um, I just don't think they're going to be able to come back. I that Yelich is their best player. Yelich was the best player in the league two years in a row. Last season and a half, Yelich has been far and away the best player in baseball. Losing against tough, it might work for a couple of weeks. But that's think, all they need, though, is a couple weeks. I don't think they're going to catch the Cubs. I don't think that pitching's going to get it done in these big, in these important games down the stretch. Dodgers clinched their seventh straight NL West, 97-54. Rest of the division in order, D-backs, Giants, Padres, Rockies. Not a whole lot to talk about there. D-backs fell off the face of the earth since we spoke about They won 11-13 and then lost six straight and are back to being a 500 baseball team. Two over 500 at 76-74 if you want to be specific. Uh, and a wild card, Nats, one and a half up on the Cubs. Brewers run back, one back, Mets four, Phillies four and a half back. I like the Nats still on the one seed. And I think what you said about the Cubs is pretty spot on. As much as I'd love to see the Brewers in, I just think the Cubs have a lot of veterans and a lot of proof of pitching where Joe Maddox not going to let them miss the playoffs. Yeah, like I said earlier, the Cubs one through five, I trust more than the other teams. Fair enough. Uh, moving to the league leaders around baseball, AL average, Sam still yearns to hear it to this day. Timmy Anderson of the White Sox leading the league with a three thirty two average. When do you guys got to take him in fantasy next year? Uh, well, it depends how their owner, the ownership meeting goes. So there are going to be owner meetings at the end of the season, winter meetings. We may have a change in management. There may be some firings being passed down. We'll see. Which is fine because Sam set our lineup a total of zero times. Our team sucked, but at least I tried. That's so, a loser mentality, the I tried nonsense. I didn't try. 
because I hired who I thought the best to do it would be. Didn't work <laughs> out, so we're going to reevaluate. We we've we actually have some interviews scheduled for some replacements. Can we get any of the candidates? Nope. Oh. It's unless Schefter tweets it, you will not be finding Sounds out. Sounds like you might be getting an email in the mail. It's not Bryce. I know it's not. Sorry, bud. Off air, off air. I was really rooting for you, Anthony Rendon, uh, who with Yelich out now could be in the driver's seat for the NL MVP award. He's leading the NL with a three thirty two average. It'll come down to him and Cody Bellinger, as we've spoken about. Trout leading the NL with 45 home runs. I guess we haven't mentioned it yet. Mike Trout also out for the year. Yeah, but who's one behind Trout? I have it in the notes. Jorge Soler with 44 home runs will end the year bearing an epic, catastrophically bad last two weeks of the year. He will lead the AL in home runs this year. Uh, and you mentioned it before. Eugenio Suarez has come even with Pete Alonso, 47 home runs. Uh, Suarez would be the third red ever to hit 50 home runs in a season. Who um, the first two? George Foster, and I don't remember the other one. Wasn't Griffey though? Was it Dunner? I don't think Don ever hit fifty. Dunner. RBI leaders Jose Abreu of the White Sox, one seventeen in the AL. Um, who I just want to say, I mean, he's going to hit free agency maybe with like hundred thirty RBIs. It's going to be a fascinating free agent case for him. Uh, if he, I mean, he's projected to hit thirty six homers, one hundred twenty seven ribbies, two eighty four average, eight forty five OPS with thirty eight doubles. What does a guy like that get in free agency? Five for one twenty-five. You think he's going to get that much money from someone? I think that's what he's going to ask for. He's going to point to the old, I mean, old school metrics. This the old, the old counting stats. The old school metrics. This guy's, this guy's winning MVPs. This guy's considered the best first baseman in baseball. And for what it's worth, career two ninety-three hitter, three fifty on base, eight sixty-five OPS, uh, and is an RBI machine, as arbitrary as that stat is. NL RBI, Anthony Rendon, one hundred eighteen ribbies. Uh, pitching side of things, Verlander and Hermann still tied for the ALE with 18 wins. Strasburg still in front in the NL with 17. Ryu spun off a scoreless outing against the Mets this week. 2-3-5 ERA, ALERA, 2-5-8 Verlander. Chapman and Hand, 37-46 respectively. Trout, 8.3 war. Cody Ballinger, 8.2 war. So before we get into some players of the week, do you think, given Bellinger slumping a little bit, and right now, there's a good chance Rendon could lead the NL in average and RBIs. Do you think Rendon could scoop in and win this MVP award? I was thinking about it earlier today, and with the Yelich injury, I, I finally have come around on the Rendon train. All right, Rendon for MVP. Uh, and the other one I'm going to mention in the NL, just because I have to, I think it's been reused to lose for so long, but how is Jacob deGrom not making a strong push for back-to-back. I think if the season ends right now, despite the win-loss record, DeGrom's my pick. Yeah. I He hasn't been as good as he was a year ago, but I don't think anyone's running out and grabbing it, and he's been very good at late. Scherzer's been... Scherzer has not responded well since the injury. So here's the thing. I You know, you, you I think Ryu, when the ERA was under two... You kind of ignore the lack of strikeouts and everything. Now that the ERA is two three five, which is great, but a little more human, I think he's out of the running. You compare Scherzer and DeGrom, just because I think that's what it's going to come down to in terms of baseball reference. Scherzer 5.9 war, DeGrom 6.9 war. I'm going to throw wins and losses out. Because Scherzer's only got 10. Um, ERA, DeGrom 2.61, Scherzer 2.65. To me, the big one is 
Um, I mean, DeGrom, both guys have elite whips. DeGrom's is a little low, little bit lower. DeGrom's got 17 more strikeouts. To me, where DeGrom is going to make his biggest push, he's got 190 innings pitch to Scherzer's 159.2. Um, that, to me, is just an insurmountable gap. DeGrom's leading the league in strikeouts. He's top five in everything else. He's leading the league in strikeouts and whip. And his top three in innings pitched. Uh, and he might be the first Met to ever win back-to-back Cy Young Awards uh, with a combined 21 wins, conservatively speaking. Yeah, it's, it's very possible DeGrom gets it, but every time Scherzer goes out on the mound, I think he's going to throw a no-hitter or 20 strikeouts. Correct. If he has a game like that down the stretch in these meaningful games. If he has a narrative-changing start. Yeah. Um, so DeGrom, on that note, one of our players of the week, his seven scoreless against the highest-scoring team in the NL, the Dodgers. He now has 17 starts of seven-plus innings pitched this season. No one else in the NL is 13. He's allowed two earned runs or fewer in 15 of those starts. And this is just a crazy career stat. In 169 career starts, DeGrom has allowed no or one earned run 78 times. That's wild. Wild. Could you imagine if he had come up as a shortstop like he was drafted to be? Well, the Mets, every now and then the Mets do something right. It's like one out of every 50 decisions. This was the one. So shout out to the Cubs. The Cubs are the fifth team in the modern era since 1900 to score at least 14 runs in three straight games, joining the 1901 Pirates and the 1928 Pirates, uh, the 1930 Cubs and the 1993 Tigers. And another guy I want to give a shout out to real quick on the Cubs, Nick Castellanos, the midseason pickup, uh, who casually has 54 doubles. That is a huge number, I feel like. I said it last week. Every time the Tigers trade someone at the deadline, he becomes the best player in the league. True. By beating the Royals Saturday's former team, Zach Granke became the 19th pitcher to earn a win uh, against all 30 MLB franchises, which is pretty cool. Um, And then this is under the heading of looking forward to next year. Uh, If you're the Red Sox, I think some silver lining is Eduardo Rodriguez in his last 15 starts, 9-2, 93 innings pitched, 2-4-2 ERA, 92 strikeouts, um, where he's become now an above-average middle of the rotation, maybe number two arm behind Chris Sale if necessary, depending on David Price. Yeah, I would still... That Price contract is so much. Oh, it's a very, very big contract. Does Porcello want a crazy contract, too? I don't think they'll resign. Oh, he's free agent? Yeah, I think with Dombrowski's gone, that was the end of Porcello in Boston. No, I mean, that's a nice story for him. It's a good three-star. But if, you, if you're going peak Sale, peak Price, and then peak Eduardo... Then you're looking at a very probably the best one two three baseball game. Angels may have found their closer to the future in Hansel Robles. Uh, he since August 21st has pitched a perfect game, retiring 27 batters in a row. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, and one reason for optimism for the Cubs down the stretch, uh, Nico Horner, who was their first round pick, who we mentioned came up last week. Uh, he's going to be playing second base and shortstop down the stretch. He already has two games with four ribbies in a six game career. Uh, and his three games with three-plus RBIs are the most for any player in his first six career games since RBI became an official stat since 1920. Um, Gary Sanchez is a catcher who ranks. Uh, are you familiar with Mitch Garver on the Twins, Bryce? Loosely. Mitch Garver has 30 homers and 321 plate appearances. The only player who ever finished with more homers in a season of less than 400 plate appearances was Mark McGuire in 2000. Mark McGuire was on the juice. Big time. Big time on the juice. These aren't so much player of the weeks. It's just fun Jason Stark quirky things that I wanted to bring up. Um, Both involve Fernando Rodney for the first two. 
Um, Fernando Rodney versus Nelson Cruz had a combined age matchup of 81 years old. Um, but in that same week, Juan Soto faced Mike Soroka, and their combined age was 42, which is Fernando Rodney's age. Is Fernando Rodney pitching himself onto a team next year? No. I watched him against the Nats this weekend. Uh, I think it was Saturday against the Braves, and he got lit up. Okay, but Nelson Cruz is going to get a big payday at the end of the season. I mean, the, the Twins have an option for him. I would be, I think it's like a $15 million option. He'll, if they don't bring it back, they, they are pick up the foolish. Million. I mean, he's going to hit 40 home runs having missed 30 games here. Yeah. So, I guess, do pitchers, who ages better? Hitters or pitchers? Traditionally speaking. I think it depends on the build, honestly. I mean, I think if you're a pitcher and you still have a plus fastball in your 40s, you can pitch forever. How old was Ruben Sierra in his last season? Because wasn't he very old? That I'm going to do. Sam, do you mind looking that up for us? How old Ruben Sierra was in his last season? I mean, Julio Franco is the oldest. Franco played till he was like 50. I think Ruben Sierra may have been like in his 40s. We'll get that in a second. Uh, and this is courtesy of Jason Stark. Fun fact, Jake Dykeman uh, became one of the only pitchers in baseball history, the second in fact, um, to pitch in two games on the same day. Uh, he pitched for the A's in the May 19th game against Detroit. That was continued um, this past week. And along the same time, uh, he then pitched in a different game. So big shout-out to Jake Dykeman, uh, who pitched for two teams. Excuse me, he pitched the eighth inning for the Royals on May 19th in Anaheim, got traded to the A's, and then pitched against the A's, uh, pitched for the A's against the Tigers, two games, one day. Time travel. You love those stats. I love the stuff like that. <laughs> Ruben Sierra's last year was his age 41 season. You ever see Back to the Future? Yes. I had the top comment on the Jason Stark article. I got 15 likes because he mentioned how Marty McFly goes back to the 60s to help his parents. And I called them out that it was actually the 50s. A lot of people seem to like that. Fun fact. Very fun fact. So two of baseball's best players are out for the year. We briefly mentioned it before. The first one... Oh, I have a fun fact about old school. Sure. You ever seen... Or what I... You ever seen... You've seen have you ever seen old school? Yes. You know that house from old school? The frat house? Sure. That's the same house that they use in Back to the Future. That is a very fun fact. Where'd you learn that? Uh, on the Rewatchables podcast with Simmons. Good old Bill Simmons. So Mike Trout out for the year. He will undergo surgery on his right foot to remove the Morton's neuroma he's been dealing with for about a month. Uh, Trout, the eight-time All-Star, two-time male MVP, hadn't been in the starting lineup since September 6th, but was hoping to return Friday, only to say Saturday the plan was to return Sunday. After testing him, the Rays said uh, Brad Ausmus had... It's the Rays. Wow. Angels. The Angels. Uh, Brad Ausmus said, tested the foot again, wasn't getting any better, kind of exhausted all non-surgical possibilities. It was just unplayable, and it's not just the playing. Walking around in shower shoes in the clubhouse was hurting him. Um, so Trout got this surgery. It has a recovery time of roughly two weeks. Um, but my question for you, I guess the big thing here is, Trout's been a lock for the MVP the whole year. Um, the only guy who maybe I think could sneak in and win so I was going to say Alex Bregman which would be great because we'd have a Jewish MVP. Um, do you think there's any chance Bregman passes him? For reference, Trout finishes the year with a 291, 438, 645 slash line. Career-high 45 homers, which Solaire is going to pass. Bregman's going to pass him in ribbies and run scored. Um, but he's going to finish the year leading the league in war. He's still beating Bregman 8.6 to 7.3 on fan graphs. 
Is it still Trout's third MVP? Trout's third MVP. I just think too little, too late for anyone else. And the narrative's been Trout all year. And voters still seem to love Trout. There's no Trout fatigue yet in baseball. So they'll give it to Trout. It's because we don't see him playing the postseason. It's not like LeBron where we watch him play a million games every year. And he's on the West Coast, so that only compacts that. Uh, Yelich, we mentioned it before, he is out for the year after fracturing his knee during the first at-bat of Tuesday's 4-3 win over the Marlins. Uh, fouled the pitch right off his knee, was on the ground. No surgery needed, but he's out 8-10 to 10 weeks. Uh, Yelich entered Tuesday, leading the majors in slugging, OPS, and total bases. Ends the year 329, 429, 671, 29 doubles, 3 triples, 44 homers, 100 runs, 97 ribbies, and 30 steals. Unbelievable year. Um, and again, I guess the silver lining on this is now we have a very interesting MVP race shaping up between Cody Bellinger and Anthony Rendon. Yeah, still Bellinger's to lose, but Rendon is very much in a spot to take it with an amazing two weeks. Yeah, which I think he's very capable of. Uh, another guy who is out for the year, this was a really tough week for transcendent baseball players, is Shohei Otani. Uh, for reference, I bought Yankees Angels tickets weeks ago for Wednesday. Um, not only am I missing Severino's debut Tuesday, but I am now not going to see Trout, Otani, or Justin Upton. So, go Angleton Simmons, I guess. Yeah, enjoy it. I was going to go, and now I, I will not be. So, Otani has undergone season-ending surgery to address bipartite patella in his left knee, a rare congestional condition, or congenital condition that was giving Otani discomfort as he increased the intensity of his bullpen sessions in recent weeks. Surgery was performed in L.A. Friday. It comes with an estimated recovery time of 10 to 12 weeks. Uh, Billy Epler, the GM of the Angels, said the team expects Otani to be ready to pitch at the start of spring training. Um, basically what happened here is the two bones of his kneecap were not fused together at birth. Uh, this is an issue present in no more than 2% of the population, but it happened to Otani. Uh, finishes the year 286, 430, 343 on base, 505 slugging, 18 homers, 425 plate appearances. This, to me, as an Angel fan, worries me um, just because, I mean, we've seen it with CZ Sabathia, who, again, is much older, but pitchers rely so much on their knees, and those are the ones who don't hit. Well, going forward, how much are they expecting from Otani on the mound? I think that's what they have to figure out. I mean, somebody threw out the possibility of him becoming a relief pitcher or a shutdown closer, which I don't hate. I actually like that a lot for him. Because I think that, I mean, you're seeing it with Michael Lorenzen and what he's doing now with the Reds, like... To me, that is the most doable, just because I think eventually... You put you're him in the field and then move him to the mound? Because I think eventually you're going to otherwise have to make the choice between is this guy going to be a pitcher or a hitter? I think with the bullpen, it's the best of both options in terms of just keeping them healthy. Yeah, and that's what they got to look for because they have a lot tied up in this guy. And it's him, Trout, are supposed to be the future of this team, which still goes nowhere. But if they ever want to go somewhere, they got to figure out the Sartani. So the Pittsburgh Pirates, on and off the field, have been fighting until the very end. Uh, and they had their third major clubhouse altercation of the year, uh, which, again, it's not the craziest of news, but to me it's just a crazy story, which is why I want to talk about it. Uh, Pirates right-hander Kyle Crick required season-ending surgery on the index finger of his pitching hand after he was injured in a clubhouse fight with fellow reliever Felipe Vasquez. Crick said punches were thrown, and the first punch was thrown by Vasquez, who declined to speak to reporters after Pittsburgh's 5-4 loss to the Giants. Um, Crick said one of those clubhouse altercations, a lot of bickering back and forth, punches were thrown. You kind of have to at some point stand up for yourself and start throwing back. 
It's one of those deals where it's unfortunate. It's two losers in this deal. Nobody can win fighting a teammate. It's just an unfortunate deal. Uh, Crick had surgery Tuesday to repair the extensor tendon, which was performed by Dr. Scott Hanton in San Francisco. Uh, this is where, to me, this gets really interesting, though, because the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, uh, according to their sources, Vasquez threw the first punch and initiated the altercation after Crick returned from the shower after his pregame routine, and Vasquez asked him to turn off music that he was playing. Crick said no. Argument ensued. Uh, and then Vasquez walked across the visiting clubhouse to Crick, to, and Vasquez told Crick to hit him. Crick said no, and then Vasquez threw a crick punch that Crick wasn't expecting, followed with another row, and then Crick retaliated again. Vasquez needed six stitches to the nose, so Crick at least got some good hacks in. Um, Crick's filing a grievance because he thought he was just defending himself. He got swung at twice before he got swung back. Um, and the funniest part of all of this is Crick, because he was wearing the shower shoes, ripped off a callus in his foot, so now he's got two injuries. Um, this- That's so stupid. <laughs> That's just so dumb. The whole thing is crazy. Um, this is Crick's second incident with a member of the Pirates organization. Um, earlier this summer, him and their bullpen coach were involved in an altercation that resulted in the bullpen coach being suspended. Crick was also suspending three games for his role in the bench clearing ball brawl against the Reds in Cincinnati. Uh, Clint Hurdle said Kyle Crick was such a valuable part of the bullpen last year, and like many of our guys, had a solid first half. He was meeting some challenges in the second half, trying to get better. It's a man down. It's a man we won't be able to go to. Part of the September surplus is that some guys get opportunities. It's unfortunate the season ended this way. Given all these incidents on top of their losing, there's no way Clint Hurdle's back next year in Pittsburgh, right? He can't be. Yeah, I think he's run his course there. I think the losing is I think the losing is the reason he's gonna be gone to begin with. This was just kind of the icing on the cake. But at this point it's like yeah, this is that that's done. Uh, a couple of quick quirks around baseball. Uh, the Mariners, when infielder Donnie Walton made his major league debut Tuesday as defensive replacement against Cincinnati, the Mariners officially set the MLB record for most players used in a single season at 65. Uh, that is a crazy, crazy number to me. Not surprising at all given Jerry DePoto's uh, purchase for wheeling and dealing, but how big of a number is 65? That's almost three times an opening day roster in the MLB. That's absurd, but... Again, the Mariners don't know what they're doing. They also started the season in Japan. And Ichiro was one of those 65. That's true. So they, the Mariners, the, the Mariners are, aren't going for it. The Mariners aren't trying to win baseball games. So it makes sense that they'd be the team that runs out 65 guys to see what they have. So a lot of people in the city of New York, specifically Mets fans, are giving uh, the Major League Baseball's commissioner's office a lot of grief for the way they handled something that the Mets wanted to do uh, to commemorate 9-11. Um, to start off, this is just under crazy baseball statistics. The Mets beat the Diamondbacks on 9-11 and had nine runs and 11 hits. Can't make this stuff up. Um, but basically what the team wanted to do was at first they wanted to wear custom baseball caps with the 9-11 theme. Major League Baseball blocked the idea. Uh, so Pete Alonso ordered custom cleats for every single player on the team uh, with different designs honoring the first res- responders. Uh, and the MLB spoke out about it against it. They weren't going to give a fine, uh, but Pete said, "I feel like if the MLB had gotten his hand, uh, gotten their hands on it, it may not have been approved." But I'm really happy that we kind of banded together here in the clubhouse and made something cool happen. How in the hell does the MLB not let this happen? Like, I get you have your uniform code and this and that, but like, do they not realize with stuff like this where there's no money to be made, all a team wants to do is pay tribute to people? How much of a terrible optic that is for the league? Yeah, the optics are terrible. 
horrific. Because I'm trying to think of an MLB defense right now, and I just there isn't I can't. one. There's not one. It's so easy. Just let them wear hats. Yeah, it's it's a really upsetting thing, and and we'll see if they continue to do this going forward. But uh, I mean, if you're Rob Manfred, at a certain point, you got to just go with your gut and smell the roses a little bit and see what a team is trying to do here. Uh, 2019 is now officially the year of the home run. Um, it is the most homer-happy season of all time. Players at homer 6,884 times a season entering Wednesday's action, um, and they broke the record from there. Marcus Simeon hit the game, record-tying homer, solo shot of the fourth against the Astros, and then 20 minutes later, Jonathan Villar hit a three-run homer off of Dodgers reliever Caleb Ferguson, uh, giving the new record, uh, which is pretty cool, um, Excuse me. It was 6,084 coming into Tuesday. The record was 6,105, which has since been well broken. Um, this year we've seen an average of 1.14 uh, or 1.4 home runs per game, uh, which blows away the previous record of 1.26 in 2017. Uh, by the, Wednesday night end, 6,125 home runs, um, which there are 661 more home runs through that date than any other season in MLB history. 16 teams are on pace to set franchise record in home runs. Um, and this, to me, is the crazy one. Joe Pasansky of The Athletic reported this. Um, the MLB set a record earlier this year with a 37-day streak where a player had a multi-home run game. Um, 409 with three weeks left beat the old record of 396 such games in 2017. Um, and on Tuesday, 10 players had multi-home run games. I know the balls are juiced, but you read these stats, and it's just it's crazy. Yeah, balls are juiced, and players are swinging for home runs. Now, launch angle stuff, metrics they go for homers. Uh, homers are cool. Chicks dig the long ball. Chicks do dig the long ball, and they always have. Well said. Um, I Woods did once in Teeley for any chicks out there. <laughs> there you go. He put one over the green monster. This yeah. wasn't even when you just had to hit the woods. He hit it over the fence. Hit it over the fence. Not over. I don't know why you went like that. I would have just given you props. You would have had no idea. Well, you were supposed to not correct yourself. You know me. I speak off the cuff. That's reality. Uh, last thing we'll touch on, Mike Hazen, the Arizona Diamondbacks, 43-year-old general manager. Um, he got an extension. Terms are unreleased. Um, he, thus far, has acquired and extended all-star center fielder Cattell Marte, traded for JD to help get him into the playoffs. And honestly, Carson Kelly and Luke Weaver are looking like a pretty good haul for... Paul Goldschmidt, um, he probably would have been the favorite to get the Red Sox job given that he was a part of the Theo Epstein-Ben Charrington regime before he left for Arizona. Um, given that Hazen's off the board, do you have any insight as to what you think the Red Sox might do? Do you think they go after a splashy name like Dombrowski or they're just content promoting from within like they did with Theo? I have no insight into front office hires. Yeah, neither do I. I don't even have a guess. I'm going to guess with uh, they hire from within. Maybe they go with Billy Bean again. Maybe it didn't work out in the movie Moneyball. Maybe the sequel, Billy Bean takes the Red Sox down. So this movie is set, uh, I guess this would be 17 years after Moneyball was set. Uh, is Brad Pitt still playing Billy Bean at this point? I hope so. Or do you think there's like a reboot of sorts? Because reboots are all the rage. Why, why, why go anywhere, any route other than Brad Pitt? I mean, I agree. You don't need to sell me on that, but you never know nowadays. Uh, Sam Bryce, any concluding thoughts for this week's podcast? Yeah, I got one. Yeah. So I did oh. solve my cra- my class crisis. Okay. I thought you, you almost said I just solved my crabs crisis, and I was very intrigued to see where that one was going. The crabs crisis was short-lived. I didn't have crabs. I never have. <laughs> don't plan on getting it. 
the class thing. So, I I went out this weekend, and as it turns out, I just forgot to switch out. By the time I got around to it, someone had taken my spot in Caribbean. So we got a long semester full of Christianity. We will be taking that class past fail because when I was trying to get dinner with the girl in the Christianity class, she said something along the lines of she does not like soup. I was appalled by that comment. So I, I, I changed courses. I started, uh, I used the power of the Instagram and I reached out to this girl I hadn't seen in 10 years. We met in France. So that's this week's antic. I'll let you know how that fun, uh, Meeting's gonna go next week. I also have a question. You seem very, very adamant before um, when I brought up the concept of ice cream that you don't want ice cream. Uh, did something happen to you with ice cream in the past week or so that you don't like it? Because last week after the show, you and I had gone in uh, McFlurry's, and I at least thoroughly enjoyed it. But maybe you didn't uh, care to elaborate at all. Well, I love ice cream, but I'm trying to go on this date this week. Not really. I haven't seen this girl in ten years, so you know. Anything. Trying to look good. Trying to look good. You know, yeah, I can do without the extra ice cream. I get ice cream with her if she's into it. So if you're listening out there, or hopefully maybe we can laugh about this in a couple weeks, ice cream on me. <laughs> ice cream, you scream, we all scream for ice cream. And on that note, with Sam Beck and Bryce Holden, my name is Chase Minorski, and this is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show.